Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome you. If you would, go with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we are finishing this section, verses 31 through 39. We began this section last week, and really, uh, we started this series in Romans much longer ago, um, but now we're finally at the point where we're at the last section, and we are finishing this together. Um, I've just been enjoying studying it and glad to bring the word together uh, to look at this and just to, just to see the, the glory of God and the goodness of God in just this one chapter. Like we've zoomed in and easily there could have been a thousand sermons out of this, <clears throat> out of this chapter. Uh, we had, I think, seven or eight. So <clears throat> uh, next time. So uh, we began last week just considering just reminding everyone that a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is the best possible relationship that we can ever have. And we, we began <clears throat> just by looking at this, this section at all of the questions that, that Paul has been asking, uh, like one at a time, one after the other, going through these questions. And he's been unpacking for us the doctrine of eternal security. Can Christians really be assured of their salvation? Can we really be confident that if we are in Christ, we are saved, that God really loves us, and that love that he has for us in Christ is inseparable? That's where the title of the message came from, inseparable. And the answer to that question is yes, and we're going to see that in Romans chapter 8. But before we begin, I just want to highlight two, two passages from, from Psalms that are going to shape our, 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 our time this morning, and we're going to use this to pray. The first is Psalm 85.7. Psalm 85.7 says this, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. That's a prayer that I have this morning for us as we unpack this text. Uh, and just one chapter over, Psalm 86.5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This is the gospel in one verse. God is good. He is forgiving. We must call on him. We must trust in him. And above all things, God's love is steadfast. And I, I want us just, I've just been enjoying this, this truth and this text. And that's what I want to impart this morning from God's word is his glory and his steadfast love, and that's in Christ. So let's, let's pray, and then we will, we will examine this text together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you this morning. I'm so thankful for your steadfast love, that you would love a sinner, an enemy like me, like us, that you would show your love by sending your son. I thank you that you are good and you are forgiving, and that your steadfast love is available to all who call upon you. So I pray as your word is open this morning, that you would open hearts, that you would grant salvation to your people, that, that you would give us assurance that we are saved, 
And if there's one who's not yet come to faith in Christ, that you would grant salvation this morning. Lord, we love you, and I pray you would just increase our love for you this morning and give me clarity as I proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are with me there in Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be. Uh, let's read this, this passage. Uh, let, let's begin by reading it. I'm going to begin in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, we are considering again this morning how much God loves us in Christ. This is that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want us to consider again the glory and the magnitude of God's love. We saw last week that uh, God is for us, that he is not only for us, but he's a gracious giver. God is our justifier. And lastly, we ended with Christ being our Savior. And I think a better way to say it would be like this. God provided Christ as Savior. It's saying the same thing. God has provided Christ as Savior. That's where we ended last week. And now this morning, we're going to look again, even closer at what this means, that God has provided Christ as our Savior. Just how good of a Savior is Jesus for us. And that we, we see that because Paul makes a slight transition from what he said in verses 31 through 34. He's focused on the work that God has done. And then 35 to 39, he focuses on the love that we have in Christ, that God has for us in Christ. I have a quote from, uh, I found it helpful this morning, one commentator, uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He, he just made this observation, and it really stood out to me. He says, in Romans 8, Romans 8 begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. And that's a great way to capture this whole chapter, that in Christ alone, there's no condemnation, that we are set free from the penalty of our sin in Christ. In Christ, God gives us his spirit, and he's making us new. He's transforming us taking the sin that remains in us, and he's overcoming it. He's giving us the power that we need to live in holiness. That's only in Christ. 
In Christ, we are adopted into God's family. In Christ, God is making all things new, and we're anticipating that day when we will be with Christ forever, free from sin. We're longing for that day as believers. And in Christ alone, God is working all things for our good and his glory. And in Christ alone, his, this plan of redemption that God has for us is unbreakable, called, foreknown, predestined, justified, glorified. That chain is unbreakable. And that leads us then into, let's consider God's love for us. So in Christ alone, this is, this is how we're going to frame the section. In Christ alone, letter A in your notes, in Christ alone we are inseparable. Inseparable. Just consider, consider this question. That's what Paul says. Who shall separate us? Paul, it's like he is putting God's love through the durability test. How strong is God's love for us? How much can we trust God and his love for us in Christ? Well, uh, number one, under this, this section here, number one, we were separated. Before we can get a full grasp of God's love for us, we must know that we were separated. This is everyone before conversion. This is you if you're not yet in Christ. There's a separation between you and God. Followers of Christ were at one time separated from God. That's why I say we were separated. This brings us all the way back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. So remember, God gave the command to Adam, you can eat from any tree except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes and temptation happens Eve is deceived, and Adam is, he's just standing there, he's, he's failing miserably. Um, the, the command comes from God, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. And the serpent says, that's not true. God's holding out on you. He knows that uh, you, you're not fully what God made you to be. Eat this, eat this tree, eat this fruit. Question God's word and question God's character. Has God said, and is God really good? And with that, temptation happens. Adam and Eve, they eat, they rebel. They declare cosmic rebellion against God by eating from the tree. Because God, the king of heaven and earth, said don't do that. And that's rebellion at the core. So Genesis 3, uh, verse 22 says this. This is after the fall, after God comes. What, he's looking for Adam and Eve, and they're hiding because they realize they're naked. They're, they've been open up. Sin has entered into the relationship. Verse 22. The Lord, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground to which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Separation, barrier, flaming sword, literally to make it so clear, there's a barrier now. There's a separation that's taken place. Because of sin, we cannot be right with God. There's a separation. God is true to his word. They took from the tree, they ate it, and they did die. They first experienced spiritual death. 
And eventually, physical death is this curse that happens now. The Lord provided an animal. An animal had to die to cover their nakedness. And he sent them out, covering their shame. But it didn't take it away. That wouldn't happen until Christ would come. One of the consequences of their sin is the removal from the Garden of Eden. This is the garden where God would walk with them and would dwell in the cool of the day. Perfect communion they had with God. And now that perfect fellowship is broken by sin. Adam and Eve were cast out from the garden and they're blocked by this angel. And now to, to signify there's a difference, there's a separation that's taken place. The prophet Isaiah says even more clearly, Isaiah 59.2, the Lord speaking through Isaiah says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Sin always separates us from God. We need a Savior. Amen? Amen. We need a Savior. So we were separated. We're separated because of sin. And then Paul makes this point in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were separated. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The only thing that can bridge our separation between us and God is the blood of Jesus. We just sang that one song ago. Like a few minutes ago, we just sang that. Um, he continues, verse 14. He himself, that's Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There was this separation between us and God, a chasm, if you would, that we cannot clear on our own. God had to make a way for us to go, how do we get from our sin to God's perfect holiness? The only way we can get there is through Jesus Christ. He had to live and die in our place and through the shedding of his blood, there's the forgiveness of sin. So now back in Romans 8, verse 35, this word separate, this is a strong word. Uh, it means literally without, to pull apart, to sever, to cut off. So the question that Paul is asking here is, is there anything able to cut off or sever the love that God has for us in Christ? Is there anything that is stronger or greater that would overcome God and his love for us? That's the question. This word is used uh, by Jesus when he teaches on marriage and divorce. Jesus teaches, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church. So we could ask the question this way. When will Jesus ever stop loving his bride, the church? The answer, never. Jesus will never stop loving his bride, the church. And so this separation that Paul is, he's using the strongest terms possible, 
He's going to put it to the test here in a moment. But we can be confident that if we are in Christ, nothing will separate us from his love. And here's how he lays it out. He lays it out with, well, what about suffering? What about when things are really bad? What about when we go through pain and trial and we're tempted to think that God doesn't love us? Number two, uh, we are not exempt from suffering. When we experience suffering, we can, we can be tempted to think that God doesn't love us or he doesn't care what we're going through. But God's word is clear. Suffering and hardship is something that everyone will face, even followers of Christ. And for followers of Christ, there will be some who will face even death, martyrdom. And that's true around the globe. So Jesus taught his disciples about suffering, and he teaches it in Matthew and in Luke. We're going to just highlight Luke's account. Luke 21, Jesus says this, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. God's working all things for good. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or correct. You will, be, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a, head, a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. So Jesus is clear in his teaching that we will face suffering. It's guaranteed for Christians. We will face suffering. But though we face suffering, God loves us. He is with us. We won't go through suffering alone. So when Paul just lays out some of these things, he, tribulation, that's general suffering, distress, the anxiety, oppressing, it feels a narrowing uh, that, that word describes. Persecution, being put to death, the, the difficulties of a fallen world, famine, nakedness, not having enough that we need, danger and sword. Jesus commands us not to worry, not to be afraid. God the Father is wise and he loves us no matter what we're going through. His grace is sufficient. God's love for us in Christ is inseparable even though we face suffering. And that leads us to number three, we are never alone. So as Paul lays out for us, that this is pain and difficulty on the highest level. It's the extreme. He could easily describe more, more than this, but he, he boils it down to seven trials. Seven trials that, that we will, as God's people, experience. These difficulties. And Paul includes here, this quote from Psalm 44, 22, when he says, It is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's difficulty to the highest degree. Christians around the world do experience this kind of persecution and suffering. 
We, we may not always feel it, but around the world, globally, this is true for many followers of Christ. When Paul uses this Old Testament quote, I just want you to think about this. He's taking what he says about suffering, and he's grounding it in Scripture. He's saying, as it is written. So this, this should not catch us by surprise when we go through suffering. As it is written, Paul is, he's a, there's a certainty that he has. When we go through suffering, I, I want us to have, I want to have Scripture clear in my mind. That's where I want to go when I face suffering. That's where I want you to go when you face suffering. I want you to go to God and his word. And that's what Paul does. He says, for your sake, that is, for God's, the sake of God, on the, the name of the Lord, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Even though we may face death, death cannot separate us from the love of God. Amen. This is these, these seven trials. Paul, uh, when he writes this letter, he, he is most certainly speaking from personal experience. I want you to turn with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see this list that, that Paul lays out. 2 Corinthians 11. So Paul, he, he, knows, he knows what he's talking about. When, when he, he makes this list of seven trials, he, he's experienced this firsthand. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm looking in verse 23. And he, he's, he's having this, this conversation with the, this letter to the Corinthians, and there were some people who were questioning, is Paul really an apostle? Should we really listen to him? And so he, he gives this, this answer in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Now he gets into this experience. He's experienced far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Verse 27, in toil and hardships, through many sleepless nights, in hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is my daily, the daily pressure on me, my anxiety for all the churches. That's a despair. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and am I not indignant? Here's the truth I want us to know. Paul makes it clear, verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. Verse 32, Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and escaped his hand. Paul experienced great suffering and yet God is sovereign over every suffering that we experience. And he loves us. God will provide for us. And that's why Paul would say just the, the next chapter over, 
I will boast for the sake for the sake of Christ then I'm content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong we are weak in ourselves but God if we are in Christ he gives us the strength that we need when we go through suffering because he loves us uh, back in Romans 8 again we can come back here now uh, Realize that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And during this time, Nero was the emperor in Rome. And during Nero's reign, there, there was a fire that broke out in a large section of the city. And there were many people who, who began to speculate, we think Nero started the fire. He, he, was, he had some issues. He was not a good emperor. So this rumor started going around that Nero started the fire in Rome, and so Nero wanted to change the, the PR, change his reputation around. He blames the Christians. And Nero made it his mission to carry out persecution against many Christians. He would have them captured and chased around by lions and set on fire, and he persecuted many Christians in Rome. And it's fitting that Paul writes this to the church there. Realize there's suffering, but we're not alone. Nothing can separate us from God's love. That means nothing can separate us. We're not alone when we go through suffering. We're not going to be cut off from God's love. We could say it in a word. Uh, you see it on your, your bulletin. Not only is there these seven trials, but God's, God gives us sovereign grace. God is absolutely, completely sovereign. No one threatens his rule or his throne. So when we suffer, we must remember that God is full of sovereign grace. That's that chain, the chain of redemption from verse 30. God's work of redemption for us cannot be broken. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, they're glorified. And as for everyone in Christ, we will be glorified with him one day. That's inseparable love. The love of God shown freely to us in Christ is so strong that nothing, not even the worst persecution or pain, can break it. God's love for us is truly inseparable. I want that to encourage us this morning. And Paul, he, not only is in Christ are we inseparable, but Paul takes it one step further. This is letter B. And the outline, letter B, not only are we, because we are in Christ, we are invincible. We are invincible. And we see this, it's in verse, I want you to see verse 37. So Paul answers first with a resounding no. None of these things will separate us from God's love. But, even more so, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us, and we are more than conquerors. This word means above victory. It's victory at the highest. Uh, it could, you could say prevail completely, or defeat surpassingly. You cannot get any higher than this. Paul, he, he joined these two words, above and victory, and he put it together. Right here, verse 37. I'm not going to say the Greek, though. Just We'll work on that after. We, <laughs> I haven't taken that class yet. 
This great victory that we have in Christ is a victory that conquers over sin, over death, over hell, and the grave. This is ours because Jesus has done so already. His victory is ours through faith alone in Christ alone. One commentator, he, he made this observation. He said, just realize, you know, so he calls from Psalm 44, sheep. We're sheep. And we saw that last week in John 10. Uh, Jesus, he knows his sheep were held in his hand. Nothing can separate us or take us out of the Father's hand. We are sheep. And yet we are more than conquerors. And the commentator said, when are sheep ever conquerors? They're they're not. You think of a lion or a, a bear or a, something strong, a, an awesome animal, not a sheep. But we are sheep, and yet we are conquerors because we have a great shepherd. We have King Jesus as our shepherd, and that's why we are more than conquerors. It's through him who loved us. Jesus, who loved us and went to the cross for us. So listen to Revelation 12. Uh, 10 and 11, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the, and the authority of his Christ have come down, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. We mentioned that last week, Satan, our accuser, who accuses them night and day before God. Look at verse 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love their lives, not uh, they they love not their lives even unto death. The reason believers can be more than conquerors is because Jesus has triumphed through His death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We are set free by His blood, more than conquerors. Have you trusted in this Jesus? Have you come to find that his blood is sufficient to pay for your sin, to cover your sin, and to make you new? Have you experienced God's love in this way, this saving relationship way? Paul, he illustrates it, the, the same truth in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall, we shall be changed. For this perishable body mu must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal, put, mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
in Christ because of the blood that he shed for us and the power of his resurrection, we are invincible. We are more than conquerors. Therefore, let's go about the work of the Lord. Let's serve the Lord without fear. Let's go to the nations. Uh, Paul says, just one more point to illustrate this, Romans, 5, uh, Romans 6 verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's why we are more than conquerors. Because Jesus has triumphed for us on our behalf through him who loved us. That he would go to the cross for you and for me. That he would die for all who would turn from their sin and trust in him. This is the good news of the gospel. And I call us this morning to trust in Jesus. And if, he, if, if we are in Christ, we shall trust him again. We trust him each day. We're more than conquerors. The, the Apostle John, he just says it this way. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So not only are we more than conquerors, but we are able to be confident. That's number two in your outline. We are able to be confident. Uh, Paul says it, I am sure, for I am sure. This is a confidence that Paul invites us into. And he gives ten ways that followers will stand supremely victorious in Christ. And so Paul is confident, and he encourages church at Rome, and I encourage us, and let us be encouraged together to be confident, and here's these, these ten ways. Here's how he lays this out. The first is death and life, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, he says, and this is the experience for all peoples. Death was once our great enemy, but for the believer, death becomes a, a going to sleep, and entering into the supremely joyful presence of our master and king. That's what death does for the believer. It brings us into God's presence. We stand as supremely victorious over, over death and life. That, that's all that we would experience uh, in, in the time that God gives us. We're more than conquerors. Secondly, the second grouping, uh, he says, nor angels, nor rulers... And I'm including here powers, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers. Because these words have to do with a, a spiritual connotation, that the spiritual realm, angels, rulers, and we could easily have, have dived into a word study on those, but um, we're not going to do that this morning. I simply want to highlight that these are in reference to spiritual beings and spiritual forces that's unseen to the, to the human eye, yet have influence in, in this world. Our victory is more than just an earthly victory, temporal. We stand triumphant in Christ over the spiritual heavenly realms, the heavenly forces. We, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we stand as more than conquerors over the spiritual realms. Uh, thirdly, this third grouping is things present and things to come. These are more time terms, temporal terms. It's often that our present circumstances or our concerns about the future 
can tempt us to despair, to worry. But Paul says that neither the present day nor the day to come could ever possibly be stronger than the love of Christ for us. These cannot separate us. He gives a, another grouping here, height nor depth. These are spatial or na navigation terms. Spatial is in, there's nowhere we could go in all of the earth that could separate us from God's love. But this also could, could be used to describe the, the course of life that we go through. There's nowhere we can go or anything we can do that will be greater than God's love in Christ. We will be victorious no matter what. Lastly, in case Paul wasn't clear up to this point of what we may go through and experience, and are any of these strong enough, he, he just says it, nor anything else in all creation. That's about a blanket statement as you could get. Paul says it with full assurance. Christ cannot fail. Christ will not fail. So there is nothing possible in all of creation, the whole created realm, that could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know this God? Have you experienced this kind of love that God has for us? You can experience it today in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. When we turn from our sin and trust in him, that the thing is that God knows all the worst about us already. Every sin, every shortcoming, every failure, and yet in Christ we are greatly loved. Nothing will separate us in Christ from his love. So uh, we, we must come to the, to the point, as Paul says, he ends with it, Christ Jesus our Lord. We must come to the place where we admit, we, we believe, I'm second, I'm second place. It's not King Stephen anymore, it's King Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. To say that Christ is Lord is to admit that all that God has revealed about Jesus is true. Jesus really is who he says he is. That he is fully God. He's fully man and he's the only way to the Father. It's to say that I'm not king. I'm not the sovereign one of my life. No autonomy. Jesus has all access. Full reign. And praise God, he's conforming me more and more into this image. Because I don't get it right all the time. Yet, Jesus is the one that I want to follow. He's my master, my king, and that's the call, the invitation this morning. To come to Jesus and experience his great love. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 7. Here's the promise. To so the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. In Christ, we are conquerors. We will have God as our reward forever. And we're regarded as one of his sons. So that when I say Christ Jesus, our Lord, I, I want you to hear Paul's invitation. He comes up in chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Is that you this morning? The glorious promise, this is uh, verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That's more than conquerors. I want to end with an example of this kind of God-centered, Christ-centered confidence. This confidence in the gospel and of God's love for us. There's an article I found from Open Doors. It's a ministry that deals with persecution in, uh, among Christians in global countries. Uh, and it comes, the, the data's come in, and in Nigeria, right now Nigeria is one of the most dangerous places to live as a Christian. The level of violent persecution that believers in Nigeria face uh, is, there's no country to come close right now to the level of physical violence that Christians face. So I found an article on, of one family, uh, and her name is Amina. You'll see her picture. This is Amina with her family. And uh, the article begins just by, by saying this, this village, the village of Medugri has many residents who grapple with the impact of violence and terror from, uh, from groups that continue to rain down attack in the city. She and her family bear the scars, literal and figurative, of attacks that have come to define persecution against Christians in Nigeria. Uh, she described a time when her, some men came in and attacked her husband and he was killed, and they took her sons and brought them out to behead them. And yet in God's providence, that attack was unsuccessful to her sons, and yet they bear the scars around their neck. And she didn't know what to do, and yet she prayed. She sought the Lord. And she experienced this persecution, and then she would go. She traveled a few days later to a funeral at another church and attack came again and they, these violent people attacked, shot her car. And just the level of violence in Nigeria is unparalleled right now. But here's what she says. She's being interviewed for this article. One of the first things she says, I thank God I knew the Bible and that the Bible didn't hide anything about persecution from us. Anything can happen anytime. A Christian should not be afraid. That's how she, she began the conversation with this, this interviewer. That, yes, Scripture's clear, we will face persecution. But in Christ, we are inseparable and invincible. Nothing will ever conquer God's love for us in Christ even the worst of persecution. So the question this morning I have is, is Christ your Lord? Have you come to him and received his love in Christ? That's the invitation, and if that's you, in Christ, be confident this morning that God loves you. And the invitation is, if you're not yet in Christ, turn from your sin and trust in him today. And his love is greater than anything we would ever face or ever imagine because we get God himself. No condemnation, no separation in Christ. Would you pray with me?
Our Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you that your love is steadfast, secure. Lord, your love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Thank you that you loved us first when we were unlovable, enemies, sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way for me to be right with you. That you would so freely give your love to me and to all who would trust in you. Lord, I praise you this morning. I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are so good that you would give your son. Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you're, you are strong. You are so strong. Stronger than anything I might face or go through that we might ever experience. You are mighty. Lord, I thank you and praise you that your love is boundless, steadfast, inseparable, that I'm not on my own, but I'm in Christ. Lord, I thank you that the gospel is a free gift. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to earn my way to be with you. Jesus made the way, and I thank you. Lord, I praise you that your grace is limitless, and your saving name, your great name is glorious. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I pray that you would just implant this truth of your word in our hearts. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.